Well, good morning, everybody. That was kind of weak. Good morning. Starting to wake up. That was kind of a one of those days, one of those feel like you're walking around in a cloud. But here we are, cloud of glory. That's good. Well, we are delighted this morning uh, to welcome to our Leaders Edge gathering, uh, Pastor Bob Finke. Um, I've known Pastor Bob for, I don't know, a long, long time, many, many, many years. Uh, he has been a faithful and blessed brother uh, of this house for a long time. Uh, he is the one who dedicated Noah. Thir- it'll be 13 years ago next week that Noah was born. So it was. So he's been um, around several times through the years with us. Um, Pastor Bob uh, leads a church, the uh, Central Church in Medellin, Colombia. He's been a missionary now 50 years, eight years in Mexico, 42 years in Colombia. Um, he pastors a church that has grown now to over 10,000 in Central Medellin. Um, he has been a part of, in the last nine years, working with Global Network, uh, part of planting uh, 1,600-plus churches all over in nine countries in South America. And um, he uh, travels all over South America and ultimately around the world, and he's here with us today. So would you welcome with me Pastor Bob Finke. What an honor it is for me to be with you this morning. I was sitting there thinking and hearing these men. I think they were all speaking different languages. I didn't get the the interpretation uh, as they spoke in tongues. But uh, I I think it's a a taste of what heaven's going to be like. However, I hope that we all understand everyone when we speak. So we'll probably have Spanish as the language there. I'm not sure. But um, it's going to be wonderful. And uh, it's an honor for me to be with you, Pastor Jim and Annette and your, all of your team here. Uh, what a thrill it is to see the nation's church or the church of the nations. I don't know what you call yourselves. I saw that little sign somewhere. House of Prayer for All Nations. Wow. Uh, We have on the front of our platform in the back wall there a map of the world. And we have Center of Faith and Hope reaching the nations. So our heart is also, you know, working in the nations. And so far it's all been basically English and Spanish speaking, but Uh, we're going to be reaching out to the Muslim countries more and these different countries sending missionaries from our church. Um, Well, Pastor Jim, kind of in a few words, probably would have taken me 15 minutes to tell you what he said in about two minutes about our work there. But um, we're just so happy. I was remembering... When I was starting out in ministry, I thought, wow, it's going to be wonderful to be retired someday. <clears throat> How many of you would, are retired right now? How many of you love retiring, being retired? <laughs> and how many of you want to be retired? <laughs> uh, I, I some days probably would want to be retired too, but I've gotten to the place 
in this fatherless world that we live in. I have such a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I'm, I tell everybody I just turned 37, but I just turned the, letter, the numbers around, you know. Next year I'm going to be in trouble. I'll be 47. <laughs> and then the next year, soon I'll be, what will it be? Well, anyway, I'll go to my normal age. Yeah. So, um, but I think, I don't know if all the nations that are represented here have the same problem as Latin America does, but Latin America is basically a fatherless nation or nations. And in church and in spiritual areas, um, we really need to have fathers and mothers. And that's the theme that I'm going to be teaching on this morning, uh, spiritual fathers and mothers. Um, before I get into this, I, I look, and we, we always, I used to call disciples, disciples. But to me, disciple is kind of cold. You know, it's a term that you're discipling someone, you're training someone. A lot of people around the world train someone, but they're not really, really, uh, you know, connected emotionally, spiritually. And so we use this term of fathering and mothering. And I believe it's a biblical uh, concept. And um, we have had so much success doing this. I've been doing this. Well, we've always been planning churches and and training leaders and so on. That was what I felt led to do when we first started ministry down in Mexico. And uh, for eight years there, we worked with Brother Danny Ost. We studied Spanish for three months in Mexico City. And then were sent out to a rural area of San Luis Potosí. And it's just unbelievable. That was in 1964 that we started working there in San Luis Potosí, amongst uh, towns and villages, over 300 of them, and there was not one evangelical church in the whole area. And I know that that uh, there are Christians in Catholic churches, but in Latin America, you don't find many Christians in Catholic churches. And so we were in a battle zone, a war zone. We were almost killed many, many times with rocks and people shooting pistols in our meetings, um, attacking us with machetes, all kinds of things, trying to run us out. But God helped us break that whole spirit in that whole area where we were. In eight years, it was broken. And, of course, now there's huge churches all over in that part of the world. And many of the people that were saved during that time have become great leaders and are being used of God in many different areas also. Forty-two years ago, then, we went to Colombia. And Colombia, we never suffered persecution like we did in Mexico. Colombia was just, we got there at just the right moment. It seemed like every place we went, people received us with open arms. And there was a revival. 
uh, 12 years out there in the Eastern Plains flying my airplane and planting churches with Suni Anderson. Some of you might remember Suni and Ellen. Uh, they're retired now in Washington State. Uh, they work together with Marilyn and I out there. Suni's a teacher, and he started the uh, Cassette Bible School. And that was a great tool to help us train those pastors. We received two pastors from our mission, the fellowship that we work with there, from other parts of the country to work with us in. And both of them had moral problems uh, throughout uh, during their ministry with us. And with the, with the ones that we won to the Lord and started training them and starting treating them uh, as sons, we've had very few moral problems in the leadership. And there's such a connection. And, of course, uh, being a father is a great responsibility and a mother. It's just like raising a family here. But there's so many needs, but that connection is just tremendous in helping to build character, uh, a great connection for blessing one another and being able to help them in times of dire need. And, and uh, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful time. So I'm not thinking about retiring. Uh, I think that uh, I work with hundreds and hundreds of pastors. Of course, they're not all sons. Uh, you can't have sons with every, every man. Uh, and the, the, the mother can't be a mother to everyone. But the privilege that you have of working closely in a father and son relationship is so tremendous. And uh, we are planting churches. The brother mentioned about several hundred churches. We, we have two different types of churches. One is a significant church. I work with Pastor Larry Stockstill. He, he connected up with me. I've known his dad and himself for many, many years. And when he started Surge, he chose different men from different continents to be the main leader under him and Surge. And then we chose men in all, all these different nations to head up the church planning endeavor. And we call those significant churches where we just come alongside of a pastor uh, or a leader that wants to plant a church. Usually it's sent from a mother church, and we come along and give maybe 25% of the cost of what it would cost to plant a church. And that mother church puts up the rest of the money. And we train these uh, pastors or leaders to be good church planters. Uh, we don't spend, I suppose we spend maybe 16 or 18 hours of teaching in the 12-month period that we're alongside of them getting this church plant off the ground. And uh, we have an average of about 50 people that come to the Lord through those significant church plants in the first year. And then they continue to grow. Many of them have planted in the nine years. They've planted uh, every year. They plant another church, and so it's just it's just a tremendously uh, effective tool to reach the world with the gospel. But then we plant. We started planting two years ago strategic churches. The strategic churches, where uh, Brother Larry wants me to mentor 
between 2010 and 2020, 10 years, mentor 30 pastors that are like sons. And you can't, you can't just go into it with the significant churches we work with all the different denominations. But to plant a strategic church, it has to be someone that is willing to submit to mentorship and become very close and really become a son. And so far, we started four of those churches. We're starting two more in the next few months when I get back to Medellin. And uh, hopefully, we'll plant these 30 churches that <coughs> their, their connection with us is that they have to promise to give 10% of all their income as a church until Jesus comes to plant other churches in their area and in their uh, countries. And uh, so of these four churches that we've planted, uh, all of them have started another church in just two years. And uh, so, uh, the, of the four, one has an attendance of around 380 people. That's the one in Medellin that I sent one of my co-pastors to plant that church, a son in the Lord. Then one in Bogota has less people, maybe around 300 in two years. And then one in Trujillo, Peru, who's a son of a very successful Assembly of God pastor who uh, has a church himself of 2,500 in a small, I say small town of about 80,000 people. That's a pretty big church in a, in a town that size. And they asked me if I would mentor their son about five years ago. And I said, Rolando, you know, you're a successful, you're his father <laughs> in both ways. Uh, <coughs> and uh, you can, but they were insistent that I would help their son, Jonathan, and mentor him. And uh, he was just with us in, uh, in Baton Rouge for nine days, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Well, we just got back to Tracy where we have a home, Tracy, California. We just got back on uh, Sunday in the m early morning hours, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, um, then we have a church in, a strategic church in uh, Bolivia that is started by one of my grandsons in the Lord. I won his father years ago, spiritual father to the Lord. Now he is sent out as a missionary. First of all, he was sent there. And then when we started the strategic church plant, I decided that felt of the Lord that he should be another son to to uh, begin this work. And, and then, uh, so those are the four strategic churches that are using these same principles that I'm going to be talking about here this morning, to be sons, to be fathers, mothers, and daughters, and uh, with that relationship, uh, grow healthy churches, strong churches, and churches that will multiply. How many of you like multiplication? <laughs> I, I don't remember who I was talking to. That they, they had a, a, a child, and then they had two twins. They had twins. Tim, okay. And I told him, that's really multiplication. And if we can do that spiritually, we will fill the regions of the world with the glory of the Lord. How many of you believe that? 
And so that's what we're, you know, that should be in our DNA, to be fathers and mothers, spiritually speaking also. So let's get with this. I'm going to, um, I told your pastor here this morning that I was using my iPad for the first time in English. And uh, actually, it's the first time I'm going to be teaching with this. I've preached with it a few times. And, uh, but, you know, when you speak, I had to, I had to make all these messages because I didn't have anything to present up here in English. So, <laughs> and if I if I ad lib it, what I always do is I start speaking in English and end up speaking in Spanish, and don't even realize it. You know, it come <laughs> that's the worst thing. People start waving their hands, <laughs> and so, so, um, so this morning I'm going to make an endeavor hopefully everything turns out great genesis 14 14 if you're taking notes it says now when abraham heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house and went in pursuit as far as dan this is really a tremendous verse uh we're talking about a very, very rich man, a man of faith, that his his nephew, Lot, got kidnapped by some kings. And instead of, with all of his wealth, he could have hired some soldiers, some warriors to go with him and fight. But he chose 318 servants born in his house. I'll tell you what, when we can birth men and women or children uh, in our house, spiritually speaking, we can work with them. Now, I'm not trying to be critical this morning, and I'm not saying we in Latin America have all of the answers. But we have a system in many of the South American countries where there's this relationship with his fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, where we don't send the cream of our crop to away for four years to some other place. Now, that's, it's fine to get higher education. Thank you. And it's fine to uh, not just get input from the covering that you have. I know the body of Christ is large. But I think that we need to be more connected when, when I look, I remember myself, when I started out, I went to Northwest College of the Assemblies of God and graduated with a BA after four years. But during those four years, I had a pastor named Thomas Howard who was the pastor of my wife. She wasn't my wife at that time, but I was away from Idaho where I was raised. So I went, knew her, I went to her church, and he put his cloak of, acceptance on me as a son. I really felt that he treated me as a son. And it's very interesting. This church was a church of about 150 believers. And in 10 years, Tom Howard prepared 15 sons and daughters that ended up full-time in the ministry from that little congregation. I mean... That's a great percentage to go full-time in the ministry. And what was his secret? He was a father. 
he was a father. He told me, he says, you know, I have troubles with the board. They pay me to preach, but I want you guys to preach sometimes. So I'm going to give you five minutes to preach in the evening service when hardly anybody comes out. And uh, that was fine with me because I was so shy. You know, five minutes, I ran out of message in about two or three. <laughs> My wife says, oh, for those good old days. <laughs> She says, honey, with every year that goes by, your messages seem to get a little longer. And uh, did you hear the story about the, the pastor that always put a halls in his mouth? You guys probably heard that one. Uh, your pastor has. I'll tell it. In fact, I have a halls in my pocket because I have problems with my throat in this cold weather. Um, this, this pastor used a system. He had a halls. And he would, before the service, he would take it out of the wrapper and he would stick it in his pocket like this. And when he got up to start his sermon, he would reach in his pocket and carefully take out the halls and stick it in his mouth. And he had a system that he, it would dissolve in 30 minutes. And so this one morning, he got up in the pulpit and he started preaching and he was going fine. He was doing fine. And all of a sudden, he noticed that some people were getting up and leaving. And then he noticed that his wife was back there. You know, it's time. And he thought, well, my halls isn't finished yet. And he reached in his mouth and pulled out a button. <laughs> so you guys can just pray that I didn't get it. You saw that it wasn't a button that I stuck in here today. <laughs> But anyway, through this relationship uh, with this covering from this church, Marilyn and I went out. They could only help us with a little money a month because they, they already had their program. We felt so strong that God was going to supply our needs, you know. Thank God that we were young. I'm glad that I didn't have to go out at my age now uh, for the first time because I think I wouldn't have the faith that I had at that moment as a young person. But, um, and we had that connection that was just so wonderful that we could write, we had no emails, no cell phones, but we could write a letter and get help whenever we needed it. And then when I got out of, uh, out of the language studies and stuff and went out in the ranches, well, Brother Danny Ost, he put his mantle of approval on me and um, I thought he was a very strict and hard father, but I loved him with all my heart, and we were able to work together until the Lord took him home in 1985. And uh, just a wonderful blessing to be in a connection like that where you have a father figure, that you have his covering, you have his approval, you have his, his prayers. Uh, he would invite me from Columbia to go and, he had these big centers that he started in, in Mexico, and he'd say, Bob, I want you to preach. They had these big centers where they were evangelistic centers, and they would start a service at 9 o'clock in the morning and go till 9 o'clock at night. Every two hours, there was another service all day long. Some of them would hold 5,000 people. And so he, would, he hired a taxi driver, a Christian taxi driver, to take me from one church. I was preaching in one church two hours. 
I mean, we'd be in a service for two hours, and then I'd go to the next service, sometimes preaching six or seven times in a Sunday. And uh, that was very invigorating. My, my sermons were a lot, a lot shorter in those days, and uh, I was able to do that. But it was a great experience, and I had that time with him. I'd always spend some choice time with him afterwards before I'd go back. Um, I've had many fathers through my lifetime. Tom Howard, Dan Ost, Larry Stockstill. He's younger than me, but he's a spiritual covering also to me that's a great blessing. And I hope that my life can reflect that, that I've received from others, that they can be, uh, you know, cared for and fathered by me. So here we... I just want to, I'm going to read a few things. Some of this stuff I'm showing you today, teaching you today, is in a book that I'm going to give you after this class. I'm going to give you three books, two books and one magazine. Um, They're books that Pastor Larry Stockstill wrote, and they're very good books. They will really help you in the ministry. One is The Remnant. Maybe you've got that book. I know that Tom has it, and uh, maybe some of you others have it, but you'll have it now for sure. From the beginning of time, starting in Genesis, Abraham, and then through Paul in the New Testament, God's, God used men and women as spiritual fathers and mothers. Paul's only method was to train a spiritual son or a daughter. Now, I've, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Paul a few questions because I have never been able to do what he, has, he did. He would go into a town and win a person to the Lord or persons, and he would spend such little time with them. You know, how can they be so successful in ministry, being under his covering? But there was no emails. There were no phones. There was no Bible. Think that one over. They had the scriptures in the Old Testament, but they had none of the New Testament. Paul was writing half of it. And thank God that he was in prison. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had the epistles that we have today. And, and so he would go into a place and leave an elder. Man, if you read 1 Timothy 3, how did he know Of course, he had the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in his life tremendously. I'm sure the word of knowledge was flowing. And he could sense, an apostle can sense giftings in people that, average people or other people that aren't apostles, that don't have that ministry, will never notice. And Paul had probably many of those gifts of ministry working in his life there in Ephesians 4.11. But... He would, he would leave someone there and start a church. And then, you know, the, the letters that, that he sent to, Ephesians, to the Ephesus church, Church of Ephesus, the Colossian church, Colossae, the, all of these different churches, well, we have them, but they're not that much uh, of study either. I mean, there's a lot of revelation there. But it's just amazing how that God, I have counted up 18 men mentioned in the New Testament, his epistles, 
that he considers sons. And he considered them to be uh, the ones that extended his ministry out. Isn't that tremendous? I mean, nowadays, with all of the advantages that we have, you know, I remember when I came back from Bible school, Brother Tom named me as youth pastor when I finished Bible school and before we went out to the field. And I worked full-time and went with him. He had me under his care. He would sit me down when I made errors, but he would always correct with love, with firmness. And I believe that this is a great lack in our churches today where we're sent out, we send out the, the cream of the crop to send them off to some other people to train them. And then when they come back, we have no place for them unless they're, they've got a gifting for preaching and can really preach or really... What, what do we have as a program in our churches to be able to put them to work? Now, I'm not criticizing. I'm, not, I'm just telling my heart to you today. And I'm thankful that we can work the way we're working. We've got, I'm not going to get you into all the methods we use and all of this, but the minute a person gets saved, they have someone that grabs onto them. And they are their counselor. They're, they're probably not all fathers and mothers, but they care for them to take them through this whole program we have in our church, the School of Leaders, and going through all this thing, we have that. That's how we win them to the Lord. Like we're having, we have one evangelistic crusade in the year. And that's during Holy Week. Semana Santa in Spanish. It's Easter. Well, all we celebrate up here normally in most churches is Sunday where Jesus arose from the dead. But down there, I'm, Marilyn and I are flying into Medellin on the 27th of this month, Wednesday afternoon, and that night we start an evangelistic crusade. Uh, a brother that uh, is a good friend of ours is coming to, God uses him in, in healings and in, and in miracles. And he's a man older than I am, really used of God around the world. His name is A.J. Gill. And he's going to be there. We have our church for five months, five weeks before the, the crusade, we have a little deal we pass out. Uh, before I left, we pass it out. And every week, there's a step that each one takes with, they write down three names of three people that they want to see one to the Lord during the crusade. And they're visiting them. First, they call them. They begin to pray for them, do spiritual warfare over them. How many of you work in spiritual warfare here? Good. I've been in churches where they say, that isn't biblical. Dear Lord, the world that we live in. <laughs> we have to be warriors in the, in the spirit and praying and, and, and just rebuking the devil in these people and so on, you know. And that's what we do for uh, during the beginning of this. Then the first contact by telephone is that we would like to meet them. And have a, uh, the next week they, they're there to meet them and maybe invite them for coffee. Uh, we say tinto, 
you can't say that in southern South America because that's wine. But tinto in, in Colombia is just coffee, real strong coffee. And so they just meet together and they give them their personal testimony. And some of these people, I have many of them, have won the three to the Lord before the crusade ever starts. Because we're in revival. We've been in revival in Medellin. We see an average of 400 people coming to the Lord every week in our church, every month in our church. Through the cell groups, we have 450-some cell groups in the city. And that's that's the womb of the church. That's where the children are birthed, in the cell groups, in the home groups. And so then when they get saved in that meeting, now this is just one of the, we call them the pescas, milagrosas, where we catch all the fish, where we catch all the souls. And uh, we'll have probably between, we've had as high as 1,500 people come to the Lord. We don't meet in a different place. We have the Wednesday night service. Two, uh, Thursday, we have two services. Friday, we have three services. Friday is the day in Catholic country. So we just go with the flow. And people are very open to the gospel in those days. They'll come to your church. There's no problem. Unless they're really dyed-in-the-wool Catholics and they're fanatical, but there's not very many of them around anymore because we've had so much revival. The Holy Spirit's flowing in that country so much. You can win a person to the Lord, just begin to talk to him and say, would you like to accept Jesus? Oh, sure. I mean, it's that quick. People are open. So what happens then, to answer your question, I'm sorry I'm taking so long, but when you then, they, they accept the Lord, then they go out and we have consolidadores, we call them. They go with them. They're kind of like a confidant that goes beside them, takes their data, talks to them, gets them hooked up with one of our cell groups. And then they're assigned a person that begins to, do, be, begins to give them the teaching for the pre-encounter. And that's about five classes they give over about five weeks where they talk to these new Christians, just one-to-one basis, and then they take them to an encounter. And uh, we have six encounters in each one of our six nets. We've divided our church into six nets, men, women, youth, adolescents, and two groups of, no, one group of children, and then the deaf people. We have a large number of deaf people. I tell them they're all deaf most of the time when I preach, but, you know... You pastors can identify with that. So anyway, um, that's how it's done. And then we go through this this two-full day. Starts on Friday night, goes all day Saturday. Well, you take them to a place where they sleep there, they eat there, they throw their, t- they put their cell phones away, or they can't be talking home to their wife, or they're they're just there to receive from God. And uh, lives are transformed. Tremendous work of God in those encounters. And then those that are not living together and not married, they can't be baptized. We don't baptize people that are living like this. They have to repent. They have to make changes in their lives to show that they're really repented and they have accepted the Lord. But those that are ready to receive the baptism, they're 
baptized then at that moment. And then they start in the post-encounter. And then they go into three levels of leadership. There are three trimesters of leadership training. And that's kind of the, the schedule. And so then we have ISOM, which is a school of ministry, international school of ministry, that it's all on video in Spanish. And we use this to teach its deeper studies, to teach them how they should go forward from there. So I'm taking too much time. Okay. Paul's only message was to train a spiritual son or daughter. He had no phones, computers, offices, or buildings. He didn't even have a Bible. His world consisted of a few relationships with spiritual sons and daughters he traveled with and some incredible disciples. Wherever he planted a church, he was not interested in quantity. He was interested in quality, which produces quantity. Amen? People tell me, your church isn't spiritual. Big churches can't be spiritual. I say they get big because they are spiritual. They have, we, don't, we don't have, have huge ministries, named ministries from around the world coming into our church to make it grow. It grows from within the spiritual son and daughters growing together, raising up the church. And it's a very solid we never announce who's going to be preaching except for this Holy Week service. Or if we have a special thing, but we don't have many special things. When we had our church at 5,000 believers, I had 14 pastors on staff. When I divided the church up like we've got it divided up and have these leaders of 12, I'm in with the G12. I'm not with the organization, but I use that method. We have only five pastors besides myself in a church that big and it's pastored better than we if we would have 28 pastors fully supported on staff and all of these leaders are being prepared they've got a niche to prove their ministry to prove themselves in ministry and they're not sent out to have failure they're sent out because when they're when they're sent out they've been proven right at the, in the home in the house in the spiritual house that we live in and so it's a tremendous thing we we found that we had in in antioquia that's antioch in span in english we had over 50 towns with no evangelical uh, church in them in that state and so we decided we can't have that and so i have a group of that meets with me every week when i'm home uh 21 guys and of that group, we've planted over 15 churches in the last two years with these men that have been trained through me that have come as a result into this group as a result of their effectiveness in ministry in the cell groups. And so that's where we get those people. And we found that those villages without the gospel, there's a reason there are principalities. There are problems, spiritual problems in those places, man. It, it, it's just, just amazing. We have so many, find so many demon-possessed people in those towns. 
It's just amazing. You go into those places, persecution and, and difficulties, but they're delivered, demons cast out, and now some of those are, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel. And so this is the way it works. Okay. We have, Paul was concerned with quality. He knew that if he had one son or daughter in a city, the kingdom of God would multiply. Whether it was Lydia in Acts chapter 16 or Jason in Acts 17 or Aquila and Priscilla in Acts 18, Paul never left a city without leaving behind a spiritual son or a spiritual daughter. And that's how they were birthed. That's interesting. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Wow. That's a mouthful right there, right? Imitate me. Then he says, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul's method was sons. As you study the New Testament, I mentioned that, that I found 18 different men. Now, there's women. There's even an apostle, woman apostle in Paul's ministry. And we see how that God raised them up and they watched him operate as an apostle, as their leader, as their covering, as their teacher, as their father. And as he ate and slept and were in close communion all the time, he was always uh, challenging them, I'm sure, correcting them, blessing them, uh, confirming them, affirming them, I mean, giving them uh, the, the desire to really be that son and that daughter that God wanted them to be. He dropped some off in new works. He sent them out to check out established works. And his apostolic son team visited many, many towns and villages. Um, how true spiritual fathers and mothers should work. How they should be. Number one. See a spiritual son or daughter as a person of great value. This isn't just a thing. It's so easy to work in the Lord, in the, in the ministry, and be fulfilling a job or, or, you know, doing what you're hired to do or what you're there wanting uh, that you're supposed to be doing. But this is when you get a hold of this relationship as father and son, it's no longer just a method. It's a style of life. And you begin to care deeply for these men and women and are there to be their greatest admirer and greatest uh, one that spurs them on to fulfill God's work. They will always be there 
for their sons and daughters in difficult times. And their son and daughters can always know that they can contact that father or that mother when they need to contact them. A genuine spiritual father and mother is very proud of his son and daughter and defends them. It's just like in a family. In a family. We are a family, spiritually speaking also. A spiritual father and mother permits their son and daughter to make mistakes. (laughs) That's interesting. My dad was really a disciplinarian. And he was not very elastic. (laughs) He was not very merciful at times, I thought. But I thank God that he raised my brother and myself to be responsible and to fulfill what we're supposed to do and have integrity. And uh, it's just a blessing. It carried on into the spiritual realm. When we all got saved, my brother was healed of epilepsy. And he had up to five Caesars a day. That's why our family found the Lord. Desperate. No help. Back in the 50s. There was not even any medicine. He'd have up to five attacks in one day. And our whole family was transformed when my brother was instantaneously healed. Pastor came to our, our house. There was no pastors in the whole area there in Idaho that prayed for the sick. No Pentecostal churches. Tell this one brother started an assembly of God church in a little town there. And he came out and prayed for my brother. He never had another attack. He became a pilot. He flew. He, how would you like to fly with an epileptic? I mean an ex-epileptic pilot. He flew from San Francisco to Tanzania in a single engine plane. 210 Cessna. I helped him build the gas tank. We took out the four seats in the back. And we built it out of aluminum with a Mick welder. We, sold it, uh, we welded it. I helped him tune up his engine. I was flying the plane for him when he was down underneath the, the panel there, adjusting the instruments to get the best gas mileage he could. <laughs> he had to fly 16 and a half hours over water without having any place to sit down. And the plane was so full of gas in, that ba- in those two back seats, four back seats, filled up the whole back end. He couldn't hardly get the plane off the ground. It was not very airworthy at that moment when they took off. And that, he, he called it, uh, it was 62 hours of flying time. He flew 16 and a half hours and set, landed on an island right off the coast of, of England. And um, he had 45 minutes of fuel left. That's, what you're, that's the regulation time when you're a pilot. You have to have at least 45 minutes of fuel on board when you land, when you make out a flight plan. And he did it all within. Then from there he had to fly clear across, you know, Africa, to the other side over there in Tanzania. Uh, so that's how, that's how we came to the Lord is through his healing. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. 
A true spiritual father and mother is committed to the success of his son or his daughter. He will provide the tools for his son and daughter to become successful. I think this is very important as pastors to not only be encouraging, but to, and I know that in this church, this system works because your pastors are very caring people. Uh, How many pastors have everyone into their home and feed them and bless them and encourage them and strength. I've been so blessed around your table so many times to see this family and, and see their servant's heart. And I'm staying in their home. It's a lot better than some cold old hotel somewhere. And that's family. And, and I know your pastors really care for you and really encourage you and really, and I know that that God has raised up this church as a strong church because of the training and the example that they've set before you. And so I just encourage you as sons and daughters to really get involved with what's going on in this house and just push for all you can together to make this a great impact around the world. You're making an impact. I didn't know that St. Paul and... and And uh, Minneapolis had so many people from all these different nations coming into this area. This is a mission field right here. They come, many of them come, I'm sure, to study and to get safe, a place where they can live and not be killed or persecuted. But now you, you have an outreach to them, as I heard all these praying in different languages. This is tremendous. And this church has a, a future that's just almost uncalculable because you can reach out. A lot of these folks that are here living, one of these days, God is going to move them back. They at least have their connection through emails and through things. It's just wonderful to see what God is, is doing. A genuine spiritual father and mother provides opportunities so his son or daughter has more opportunities than himself, than he had. It wasn't, they're not like Saul who tried to kill his successor, David. The spiritual father is willing to be in the shadow of his son. I have sons that can out-preach me by a long ways. I have sons and, and daughters in our church that are just amazing in the ministry. And you're going to, as you go forward, you're going to sense that here, that God is raising up this generation to reach out around the world and extend the kingdom of God. A true spiritual father and mother will embrace the vision and calling of his son and daughter and will encourage them to not be afraid and will affirm both of them, him or her. A true spiritual father and mother models the character of Jesus and never should be a stumbling block for his sons or his daughter. Proverbs 17.6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of, the, of children is their father. A spiritual father and mother will care for his own life, not be negligent in his own walk so that his sons and daughters will, will be able to imitate him. 
A true father and mother will speak truth to his son or his daughter and correct his or her character. I'm going through these very rapidly. Is it too rapidly? Are you able to? What do you want? What do you want me to repeat? What do you want me to repeat? Uh, father, okay, a true father. Well, he models a character. Okay, a true father or mother will care for his own life, so his son or daughter may imitate him. A true father and mother will speak truth to his son and daughter and correct his or her character. Now, correction is really a blessing. How many of you believe that correction is a blessing? And it's so important. I learned over the years, it was hard for me in the beginning to correct. It's not easy to correct someone that you're working with. But it's just like with your children. They sometimes need to go to the woodshed. <laughs> woodshed? Isn't that a word? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, for you. Okay. It's like the place where you receive correction. Huh? <laughs> okay. Thank you for your correction there. Yeah. And it's painful. You that are fathers, you know how painful it is sometimes to correct your biological children. It's not easy, but it brings great reward. And that's the same thing that happens in the spiritual realm. That as we correct, as we discipline, then our children will begin to uh, have good testimony. There are areas where they're not, uh, you know, viably working correctly. They will be challenged and they will begin to be able to say to their sons and daughters, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Okay. A true father and mother will speak truth. Oh, I've already mentioned that. I'm sorry, I didn't... I have 11 points here, and I should have mentioned them by number, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Now, this is the last one. 11. A true father or mother is vulnerable to his son or daughter and will willingly say... Son or daughter, I failed you. Please forgive me. The father and mother must be transparent and not afraid to admit their mistakes. I think this is very simple. It's just like what happens in a biological family. I mean, that's the way it has to be run. To be able to raise children that have testimony and so on. Okay, now I'm going to speak about some qualities of spiritual sons and daughters. Number one, a spiritual son or daughter has the DNA of his spiritual father or mother. Paul said that Timothy had his same spirit. In Philippians 2.20, he says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. 
tremendous. Sons and daughters, they need to have the same spirit, the same... Not all, that You're not reproducing another Bob or a Pastor Jim, but you're producing people with the character of Jesus Christ. And we have different temperaments, different personalities, but God can use all of that uh, to have that, that in that son or daughter so that they can, in turn, be spiritual fathers. Number two, a spiritual son or daughter has demonstrated that he or she is worthy and faithful because they have taken every challenge of his father or mother to another level. I will. A spiritual son or daughter has demonstrated that he or she is worthy and faithful because they have taken every challenge of his father or mother to another level. This is in Philippians 2.22. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. This is Paul speaking about Timothy, his son. Number three, a true spiritual son or daughter is a servant. He or she is content in serving at the side of his father or mother. You know, when we're young, we want to spread our wings really soon sometimes. And sometimes it isn't the moment to have that happen. And uh, so with spiritual sons you've kind of got, and daughters, you've got to guide them. Some of them will hear a very motivational speaker speak, and they'll want to go to Timbuktu tomorrow, pack up and leave. And that probably isn't the best and wisest thing to happen, depending on their preparation. And so um, we have to motivate and we have to encourage them but they have to also be content to wait the time of God. Maybe some of those sons or daughters are going to take over the ministry of their spiritual father someday. I remember when I first went to Medellin in 30 years ago. There was a young boy that had just been saved just before I got there. His name is Orlando Cano. His dad was absent, was a drunk and abandoned the family, raised by the mother, which is very typical in South America. And so Orlando was from this very poverty-stricken place, home. And I remember that he was always around me, wanting to talk to me and wanting to be with me and wanting to... And I knew it wasn't that he was trying to get up the scale and become somebody he really wasn't. He was just a sincere servant of God. And uh, he, he was just a tremendous blessing to me. We started the home groups, and his groups, just everything he touched, just God blessed it. It was just tremendous, tremendous ministry. And so um, for the first few years that I was there and the church was growing, 
we were planting so many churches that the main spiritual, the guys that were developing the most and really growing in the Lord, we would send them out to plant churches. And the ministerial association, they called my church, they said, Roberto and his kindergarten. Because I had no ordained pastors. All the ordained pastors were out planting churches. One, one day, I can remember very, very, very easily, I had five weddings in one day. I was the only ordained pastor in our church. And so when we reached 5,000, uh, the Lord spoke to me one day. He'd spoken to me a few times before that too. But. <laughs> and he says, you need, to, you need to talk to Orlando. We had sent him to the coast and he was starting a church in Cartagena, the, the tourist city. It's kind of like Acapulco of Mexico. Well, Acapulco it used to be. I don't know how it is now, but very tourist Cancun now, yeah. And so Cartagena, he started a church. He was there seven years. And I noticed that his ministry was, he's a prophet. Not that he's, we don't, we don't put titles on ministers, but we have to recognize these five-fold ministries. And, you know, an apostle works very well with a prophet. Because an apostle doesn't have the insight that a prophet has. And so I love traveling with the guy. Every time we would go out on a crusade and start churches and stuff, when we did it the old way, back before I started working with Pastor Larry and these teams of church planters, and we'd travel together and everything, the Lord went on my heart, why don't you invite Orlando to come back and be with you as pastor? We had sent out another couple from our church to pastor a church in Manizales. And the Lord spoke to me about Wilson and Adriana, who I'd married to, and big family, you know. And so they came back. They were both just waiting for, they, they said, you know, God has spoken. When I talked to Orlando, he says, this is really amazing because God has released me from here in my spirit. I just don't feel like I can take this church any farther than what I've taken it. I need to go into a new area and I was, he said, I was not thinking of going back to Medellin, but as I prayed about it, I will accept that. He came back, and he's actually taken over the church. I'm only there about two Sundays out of every two months as I'm traveling to all these different uh, countries, training pastors to plant churches. Then Wilson, he's, he's tremendous. All of these guys on the staff, they'd give their life for me. I mean, we're, we're from two different uh, cultures, ways of thinking, two different languages, but we're knit together as sons and father. Now they're forming their sons. Their wives are forming their daughters. And it's just tremendous how that sometimes I feel like, well, you know, maybe I should just resign. And I've tried to do that a couple of times. I've told him, and he said, no, pastor, you're, you're not a threat to me. You're my father. I want you here. I'm not sure that I can handle all this without your oversight and your help. So this son and father relationship is really a tremendous blessing. A spiritual, am I on five? Four. A true Spiritual son or daughter is loyal to his father, mother, and everything. 
he or she would never try to steal his father or mother's daughter, uh, sons and daughters. In other words, I've never had a church split with any of my sons. Never. Now, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. Jesus had his Judas, you know. <laughs> we can't control all of that. But I'll tell you what. This has given us so much confidence and, and, and a safety net. I'm traveling all over the world. And I, they send me emails and tell me what's going on. I know what happens in the offerings and everything else. Offerings are a tremendous tool to find out the state of your church. You guys have discovered that. You know, it, de- it, it defines the spiritual level of your church family. Uh, Jesus talked more about money than anything else in the Bible when he was in the, in the Gospels. And it's how we use this money and it's how we as Christians respond to our, our uh, you know, tithing and giving. So... Number five, a spiritual son or daughter is content to be an ambassador for his father or mother. Paul was in jail, but his sons could travel as Paul's ambassador. He sent them all over with the epistles. He would send them with his latest letter to whichever city that he was writing to. They would go and they would see the state of the, of the church there. And then they would come back and report to their spiritual father. And tell them what's going on in that church. So, number six. A spiritual son or daughter pursues his father and mother. His father encourages, encourages imparting life to his son like Elijah did with Elisha. In Second Kings chapter 2, verse 2, it talks about Elijah is going to be translated. And... He speaks to Elisha. And he says, if you see me when I depart, you can receive a double portion. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And so, here's old Elijah saying, I'm going down to Gilgal. I'm going here. About five different places he mentioned. He's testing his son. He says, why don't you stay here? Elijah says, I'm not staying here. (laughs) I'm going to be there when you're translated, brother. (laughs) I'm going to get that double portion. I mean, he pursued him. And I'll I'll mention that a little later, too, if I have that time. I don't know. How much time do I have, brother? A true spiritual, number seven, a true spiritual son or daughter is an excellent follower. He or she adjusts to the leadership of his father and mother. I will do that. A true spiritual son or daughter is an excellent follower. They adjust to the leadership of their father or their mother. Their learning style would, would adapt to their parents' And they would learn even though they're different. I mean, we're not going to create, what do we call them? Clowns, clones. We're not clowning or cloning. Excuse me, clowning. (laughs) 
<laughs> Forgive my English. <laughs> yeah, clowning or cloning. <laughs> you know, we're not trying to make somebody into ourself. We're letting them flow in the Lord, in the Spirit, as they are, in their temperament, as their personality, and everything else. But you do have these things that unite us and keep us together. And that's being submissive to their authority. Now, if they set you free and, and, and say, uh, you know, you, you, God is calling you to something else and you're going to go be, be doing that, they can go to another geographical part of the world. But that's not going to destroy your relationship as father and son. But you're going to be loyal as you work together with them. That's so important. Um, I'm going to finish here with um, there's some there's some verses I don't want to read them I just want you to to put down I thought that this First Thessalonians two two through twelve where Paul pours out his heart to the Thessalonican church and he he lays everything on the line it's First uh, Thessalonians two verse two through twelve. Uh, I want you to read that at a later time because he is laying his heart out. Um, I just would like to to mention one little part of this. In verse 7, um, he says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. When I read that, I said, wow, Saul of Tarsus? I mean, this guy was a manipulator. This guy was cruel. This guy was a dictator until he met Jesus. He was so strong that Jesus didn't send a messenger. He came himself. Nobody else could break his will. I really, truly believe that. He was so tough. He was so legalistic. He was so sure of himself. He kept the law. He was so convinced that these Christians were heretics. He was so sure that he was going to throw them in jail. But Jesus intervened, came personally, and met him on the road to Damascus. And I'll tell you what, that guy was so humbled Three days he was blind. He was thinking this over. He says, why do you persecute me? He says, who? I persecute the Christians. Well, if you persecute the Christians, you persecute me. I'm in the Christians. <laughs> and, and he realized that he was up against a divine God. Through Jesus. Jesus was revealed to him on that road. And he was so changed. And now he's talking. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Can you think of Paul that way? I mean, what he was before. And now how he's so transformed. There's hope for all of us. Amen? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... So affectionately longing for you, 
We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Dear me. Paul speaking with those endearing words, comparing himself to a mother, a mother's heart. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. And then he says, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. I've always, I've always admired Elijah and Elisha. What exciting ministries these guys had. And, you know, Elijah, God sent him to a place called there <laughs> where the ravens fed him i mean this is his life was so miraculous he just appears in first king 17 out of nowhere and we know nothing about his past what his father's name was mother's name family name we know basically the region that he came from where was he trained it had to be one of the john the baptist style of Preparation, God working with him directly. Just such a tremendous encounter with God. And then he stops the rain for three and a half years because of, of the ungodly king and queen over Israel. They'd taken the whole land into idolatry. And one day, one man up on Mount Carmel very interesting. Marilyn and I went to the Holy Land back several years ago. And we were on Mount Carmel out there, and there was a big fire up there. They had the fire engines out and everything. And I said, Marilyn, I wonder if Elijah came around here and called fire down from heaven or what's going on here. The Bible says he's coming back, you know. But I, I was just teasing, of course. But so here we have he single-handedly confronts 450 priests of Baal and of the mother of Baal too about 400 of them I think there was 850 of them total and the whole the whole group of Israel was often idolatry and that's why God said it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain and this guy called down fire and after he calls down fire he goes up a step higher and up there above that, the, the king goes to eat. <laughs> He's very spiritual. And so he goes to eat while, while Elijah is up there on that mountain crying out to God. He sends his servant seven times. Talk about spiritual warfare. He's sitting on the ground with his head between his knees calling out to God calling out that God would send the rain. He knew that God was going to send the rain. It wasn't something that he just wanted 
It was his timing. No, God said that day he was going to send the rain. He says, you, you just proclaim in prayer and I will send the rain. But it took him seven trips of his, his messenger boy there to go look from the spot that he was. He couldn't see the ocean out there, the Mediterranean, a beautiful ocean. And the seventh time he says, I see a little black cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, I can hear the sound of rain. And he says, hitch up the horses. Get old Ahab's chariot hooked up because we're going to have a rain. And old Elijah runs. He straps on his Nikes, or I don't know what they used in those days. And he passed his chariot, the king's chariot, just like a flash. Boom. But the word of Jezebel says, I'm going to have your head for killing my priests of Baal. And a fear enters into this guy. And he runs for 40 days and 40 nights and ends up in a cave. And God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing in that cave? He says, Father, I'm the only one left in this country. God says, no, I have 7,000. I have 7,000 that hasn't kissed the Baal. He says, get off of your pity party there, Elijah, and get out of this cave and go anoint such and such a person to be a king and another to be a prophet, and then get your successor. Elijah didn't have a successor. He taught in the school of prophets. They had a school of prophets, but he didn't have a successor. How many of you have a successor for your cell group, for your ministry in the church? We all need to prepare someone else. Be a father and a mother. Work with these people. God's placed you here not just to pay tithes and offerings and warm a pew. He's placed you here to do your ministry. And your ministry is a multiplication of God's family. That's what happens through ministry. I tell my people when they're first born again, you are going to be a leader in this church. What is a leader? I looked it up one time. It says somebody that other people are following. Not very complicated, is it? We're all leaders. We all have followers. There's other people that depend on your life. Depend on your fellowship. Depend on your word of encouragement. You're all fathers and mothers. And so here we have, here goes Elijah. He goes and he comes on this farmer by the name of Elisha. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, this guy is a rich farmer. It's like having one of these big diesel tractors that pull I don't know how many plows behind it. I mean, have you ever seen somebody plowing with 12 yoke of oxen? He was a rich farmer. And here comes Elisha, and he throws his cloak on him. And evidently that, I've never made a study on this, but evidently in that culture, that meant you're going to follow me. 
How many of you want to throw your cloak on someone? I'm so glad that Danny Oth threw his cloak on me. I'm so glad that Thomas Howard threw his cloak on me one day. I'm so glad that I've been able to put my cloak on so many brothers in the Lord around the world that have knit us together. And he said, can I go tell my parents goodbye? He says, well, you do what you have to do. And he went home and kissed his parents, came back and killed two of the oxen and took the plow uh, made out of wood and burned it up and toasted the meat, roasted the meat. It was like an Argentinian filet mignon. And so as he's doing that, Elisha, then we know what happened. He received the mantle that fell from heaven when he was taken up. I just want to mention five things of how to select your son or daughter. You're Elisha. There are five steps. How to select your son or daughter. You're Elisha. I'm only going to mention five steps. Uh, maybe, we could, maybe we could open the word here on this. I think it would be good. This is in, in uh, 1 Kings. I don't have it in my notes, but I remember where it is, I think. 1 Kings, chapter 19. And I think it's the verse 19. Okay. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Oh, that's the beginning of that other. Okay. Oh, I'm in 18. Excuse me. You're right. 1918. 19. Okay. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with him, and he was with him the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. He selected a person that was a hard worker. He was busy. He wasn't somebody they paseo all the time. He wasn't somebody on a picnic. He wasn't somebody on vacation like my son said when he was about 10. Somebody in the States asked him what he wanted to be when he got, grew up. He said, I want to be a missionary, but a missionary on furlough. <laughs> so there's lots, of, there's lots of people that want to be on furlough. But you don't choose someone that wants to be on furlough to be a son. They have to be people that are diligent in their work. They have to be busy. They have to be occupied. They have to be diligent in, in fulfilling their part in life, just in the natural areas. So he was busy. The second thing is that Elisha threw his mantle on him. The mantle speaks of an anointing, the DNA. The DNA, your DNA has to be passed to him in, in a certain amount of it. In other words, when I speak of spiritual DNA, I'm speaking about some of your character rubs off on him. Some of your personality, you become... Have you heard about the the pastor that had about five pastors on staff? And he, when he would get under the anointing and really preaching, he'd throw his head like this 
because he had long hair in front and he'd throw it. And so all of his pastors would do the same thing when they, when they were preaching. This really happened. But one of those guys was bald. <laughs> so he went through the motions but had nothing to flip. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, need to, we need to have their DNA. We don't need to copy everything, but it's really true. I, I see in our pastors, I've sat down and talked with them. Orlando is such a strong leader. He is really a, an intercessor. Tremendous prayer war. I've taken him with me on my trips with the, to the nations down there. And they can't remember his name. They say, the pastor that prays so loud, he just prays with all of his heart. And I've corrected him on that, too. I said, you know, God isn't deaf. And he says, yeah, but he isn't, he isn't nervous either, pastor. So just... <laughs> and I've got some other guys that are just following just in his footsteps. They're just imitating the same thing. You work together and you begin to be like the one you admire. Number three, seek someone who, run, who will run after you or pursue you. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again and for what I've, what I've done to you. Go back again. For what have I done to you? Okay. Well, anyway, he's saying there that uh, he's pursuing his leader, his mentor, his father in the Lord. Number four. He killed two oxen and roasted the meat. Seek someone who is willing to sacrifice. Someone that's willing to risk everything to follow and to be led and be willing to submit to your leadership over him. Number five, find someone willing with a, with the heart of a servant. Then he arose, verse 21, then he arose... And so Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen slaughtered. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. We don't have spiritual sons and daughters so that they serve us. That they serve the Lord. They're not our little slaves or you have to... I've seen leadership, I've seen that type of leadership where... They enslave their people. We are not to enslave our people. We're just to be an example and say, imitate me, do as I do. But we're not making puppets out of them that they have to do everything and jump every time we say, jump. But they, they should submit. And, but where there's a loving spirit between the two, uh, they're not going to suffer from that. Okay, and verse, or number six, be willing to impart your anointing on your son or daughter. This is so important. I didn't realize this. Now that I have these guys that I meet with every Tuesday night, 
they cannot get enough of me ministering to them, laying hands on them. I don't do it very often, but when I do it, they're so grateful. They're just, they're just, they, they're just regular people that need that affirmation and need to hear someone speak into their lives that they're important to, to their leader, that you love them, that you cherish them, that they are special, that they are... It's kind of like in a relationship, in a marriage. You know, we love one another. We're not talking about physical, of course, but just that, that love where it's a special uh, relationship where we come, become very, very close to one another. Is there any questions on this so far? Pardon? Number two is Elijah threw his mantle on him. The mantle speaks of anointing, the DNA of the leader. No, someone that you put your DNA, that you, how should I say it? Your DNA becomes a part of them in that the areas where, they're, where you're the same. And maybe I shouldn't use that phrase. I use that in Spanish, and I don't seem to have any fingerprints, fingerprints on them. Yeah. DNA. Yeah. What, what, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to make a puppet night make someone like you a clown, a cl- clone. <laughs> I got to get that out of my mind. The clown stuff. <laughs> okay. So, then I, I'm going to uh, talk here, finishing this. You know, it was it was really interesting how that how that Elisha was so willing to. I mean, he stuck to Elijah that day because he knew that Elisha, Elisha was or Elijah was going to be taken up, and he wanted that blessing. And now we don't follow leaders just to be blessed, but when a double anointing is yeah. spoken about, I mean. That's more than blessed. I mean, that was monumental. You study the life of Elisha, and he had double the miracles that are written in the Bible of what Elijah, his father in the Lord, had. He was so anointed that he was buried in a graveyard. And here comes these guys with a corpse to bury him there, and these gorillas came out of nowhere to attack them, and they were so afraid they threw the casket on top of Elisha's casket. And there was so much anointing on his casket that the guy resurrected from the dead. How would you like a double portion, brothers? How many of you feel you have a need of a double portion from the Lord? And now in Christ, it's... There's no limit to what we can receive from God. 
And I was going to speak in the afternoon on the gifts of the Spirit and all of this walk in the Spirit. And uh, I'll touch some of that stuff later on. But that is really an amazing story of these two guys. How And you know, there's tons of years that are not written about, went by that were not written about these two personalities. I'm sure there are many, many more miracles done in these guys' lives, but they weren't recorded in the Bible. There's very little time, chronological time in their life that's mentioned in the Bible. But look at all the miracles and all the way that all this stuff happened. And like father, like son. How many of you heard that saying? Only this son was really doubly endowed with God's anointing. And so how many would like to uh, form leaders? Some of you are doing it, I know. Those that aren't doing it. How many of you would like to see them have a double portion of what you have of the Lord? Amen. Amen. And that's possible if we just really zero in on these, these things. Let's go to um, Second, Second Timothy chapter 2. I know you have read this many times. Second Timothy 2, verse 2. Verse 1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is tremendous. How many of you would like to be multiplicators of what you've received over the years? You know, I come across people in South America all the time that have been in the church for many years. And you talk to them about their ministry and they say, oh, I, haven't, I don't have a diploma from this place or that place. We've become so orientated on going to schools where we get diplomas and get recognition scholastically and so on. But why can't that happen in a local church we don't need so many titles. You know, I got a BA, whatever that's worth, uh, after four years in Bible college. But I used that, that diploma one time. I don't even have it hung on the wall. It's in a box someplace. I hope we still have it. <laughs> that isn't important. It's what you are, what you've learned, what you have in the ministry is so important. And I remember I used it one time when I was on, I was really expanding my radio ministry, Las Buenas Nuevas, 14-minute radio program throughout Colombia and Ecuador and Peru. Started many, many churches through that program. And in Colombia, they changed the laws. And if, if you were a foreigner, you had to provide... Uh, your education, what you had studied. And if you had a... It, I think BA was the, the, lowest thing, the, the lowest thing that would qualify you to, 
to be, and I, so I was qualified to be on the radio because I showed them my diploma. It's the only time I showed it. But if we could repeat, you know, I, I talk to people, they say, but I don't have, you know, the, the people in the world, you, if you're even a brand new Christian, have enough knowledge of God's saving grace to change a person's life. We don't need to be doctors and have our doctorate. I mean, it's good. I'm not against it. If that's what you like to do, that's good. Do it. And, but myself, I have never had that inclination. I would rather be doing the practical things of ministry and raising up leaders. Now, we do go several steps above what we can offer them in our church, but we bring it to our church through the videos. And so we're controlling what they are receiving, what they're studying, and it's in our house. It's under our covering where they, we can put our blessing on, their, on the teaching and they'll become better teachers and better leaders. But if you've been saved over six months, you can have a ministry. You have been taught by so many people. How many people have you been? I've been taught by Chuck Swindoll on the radio. I mean, in, in America, North America, you have so many teachers out there that are tremendous teachers. But we'll sit back as an, and use that as an excuse. God can't use me. You need to be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, walking in the Word. Read the Bible through a year, every year. Read it through a, every year. I do that. I've done that for many, many years. It's such a blessing. And have your private time with Christ. Every morning I have my time with Christ before I do anything else. I've had, been practicing this for years. If you are receiving, as you read the word, as the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, that's the best teaching you can ever receive. I'm not minimizing other teachers and other teaching. It's great. But I'm trying to get us off of the thought that we cannot be a multiplicator in our local church because we can. Every single one of us can multiply. And that's what God wants this church to do. You've multiplied into seven different church groups now. That's wonderful. But what's going to happen in the very near future if all of everybody that's under this covering will become mentors or fathers or mothers in the Lord... I mean, you would take hundreds and hundreds of people, win them to Christ. People are out there. People are hungry. Maybe in the States. I know it isn't in the States. It isn't like in Colombia and some other foreign countries. I'll tell you what. Winning souls, it's like falling off of a wagon. It's that hard. I mean, it's just you you can. And and we we have people in our church. I remember when I started a church out in Mexico in this little village. They never had a gospel service there. The first night I was there, 150 people came to the Lord in the town square. One lady was deaf and she was instantaneously healed. And God began to raise up a congregation there in that little town, La Colonia de San Jose. And we began to get all kinds of persecution And this one guy came against our church really strong. 
And he was like a Paul or like a Saul of Tarsus. He was going to the headquarters up in, in the capital city of San Luis Potosí and getting papers. And because this village was, um, all the land was owned by the government, they gave it to families, eight hectares of land to each family. But this guy said that they had to be Roman Catholics. And so he was using this as a tool to get everybody to not come to our church because they were going to use their land, lose their land. So they said, it came to me, and, and they were crying, some of these elders that I'd named. And they were probably two years, two years into, the, into the serving the Lord is all. They said, what do we do, hermano? And I said, well, we fast and pray. We do, we do spiritual warfare for two days. And he was going to be back in two days. And I said, when he comes back, I want some of you to be spies and go into that meeting they're going to have, that town hall meeting. We fasted and prayed for two days. I wasn't even there, out there. They were just, these elders were there, and they had fasted and prayed together. And when I went out the next time, here I asked them what happened. I said, well, the guy came back. He had his briefcase full of papers. He had a big smile on his face. He says, I've got permission to kick these people off their land and all of this. And he, I don't know how long it went on, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, he says, uh, is there a doctor in the house? He said, I got a terrible pain in my stomach. And about two minutes later, he keeled over dead with blood flowing out of his mouth. Answer to prayer. We weren't praying that. But it stopped the uprising. In that town, there was a lady called Seferina. She didn't know how to read or write. Been saved a year. Her kids had learned scripture and, and helped her memorize scriptures. The, the next door neighbor, his son, her son was killed. And they had the, the wake all night. And the next morning, Seferina went over to visit her and give her condolences. And this lady attacked her right away. She says, you've always been telling me that this Jesus you, you serve raises people from the dead, heals the sick, and can do anything. He says, he says There's, we're going to go bury my son. She was really bitter, really hurting. This little old lady that couldn't even read or write went over to that casket put her hand on the dead man. He sat up in his casket, completely resurrected from the dead. This isn't just a story. I saw it. If God can use a peasant lady that can't even read or write, she quoted scriptures that she had memorized. I mean, we have such an abundance of knowledge and experiences. God can use us to be multiplication tools in God's hands. And so I just want to close on that thought. Shall we stand and pray? Does anyone here have a question or a prayer request? Could we just pray and begin to cry out to God, the whole group of us here, after this teaching.
Maybe God is speaking to you how that you could be a better mentor, a better mother in the Lord or a father in the Lord. Maybe God is touching your heart. And I don't want anyone to feel condemned. God is not a condemning God. And what you are is a blessing. God loves you. God created you. God saved you. God changed your life. God has his hand on your, on your life. But if you'd like to step up to a new level of excitement in the Lord, where you can be a blessing to someone that needs your advice, your life being poured into their lives, your experiences to help them. Would you just cry out to God this morning and say, Dear Lord, do a new work in my heart. Let's just open up our hearts and begin to cry out to God all over the auditorium. Don't keep your mouth closed. Let's open our mouths and cry out to the Lord. Dear Lord, I just pray that you would take this word that we've heard this morning. Dear Lord, we know that you are our Father. You loved us so much that you gave your only Son. And he loved us so much that he left heaven and became a little baby in the womb of a woman named Mary went through all of that humbling process and born in a stable and then died on a cross and by his blood we were purchased we are not our own we've been purchased with a price and Lord you want to use us as channels of blessing you want to Speak out through our lives. You want us to be sons and daughters. You want us, oh God, to become mentors and help the people around us. There's so many people that are without hope, in desperation, in despair. Oh God, we pray in Jesus' name that this church would take another step forward, oh God, in becoming those mentors that you want each one to become. To spread your word, God. Maybe not in great multitudes, but in one-on-one. Working with other people to get them through the victory in their life. To get them through where they can see that they are someone in Christ. And that they can be used to become a mentor to someone else. We thank you, Lord, for this scripture in, in 2 Timothy. Where there's about four different generations mentioned in that verse of people that taught other people. They received. We've all received so much. Help us to begin to use that, God. In Jesus' name, we just pray that you will bring a revival. A revival in St. Paul. A revival in Minneapolis. A revival, oh God, where all of these churches are meeting, oh God. In Jesus' name, we just pray that you will revive each group, people group that meets under this covering in Jesus' name. And we pray that you'd raise up strong leaders, apostolic leaders. God, there are people in this church that don't even realize they have one of the five-fold ministry gifts because they haven't entered in to the giftings that you've given to them. I just pray today in Jesus' name that you would pour out your spirit on our hearts and lives. And this morning, would things would change. Lord, that blockage of the flowing of the spirit would be gone. That you would use us, O God, as vessels, even as you used Elisha, 
to have a double anointing. Give us that anointing today, O oh God, to go out of this place this afternoon with a new vision, with a new uh, victory in our lives, O oh God, knowing that you have called us and you want to use us in this area. We pray, O oh God, for a mighty army to be raised up in Bethel, a mighty army to be raised up of fathers, of mothers, of spiritual children that will be used of you, O oh God, to become mentors also in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, we're hungry for revival. <coughs> we're hungry for the outpouring of your Holy Ghost. We're hungry, O oh God, to take another step forward in the work that we're in. Those that are in ministry, O oh God, I just pray that you'll take them to the next level in the Spirit. you take them to a new level of encouragement, of direction, of fruit, of the flowing of your Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. We don't want to limit, O oh God, what you've begun. We believe that you have begun a good thing and this, all that's happened in the past few years here has been a good thing. I just pray, O oh God, <clears throat> that you will raise up this mighty army. Those that haven't won another person to you, help them to realize that they're not fruitful, O oh God. Help them to realize that they are to produce fruit. Your word says in John 15, Lord, it mentions 16 times that if we are firm in you, if we are permanently in, engaged in you, that we will produce much fruit and that our fruit will be everlasting fruit. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would bless us and encourage us today to take that additional step forward. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. If there are bondages in people that need to be broken, we pray, oh God, that they'll be loose today. <coughs> All bondages will be gone. All bondages will be broken. In the name of Jesus. All fear will be cast out. Fear of what people will think. Fear of being a failure. Fear of not being good enough. All condemnation will be taken out of our lives, God. We'll realize that we're special in you. We're your sons. You're, we're your daughters. God, you have called us to a great calling, a great ministry. And we want to be filled. We want your Holy Ghost to be poured out. We want your Holy Ghost to flow through us as never before. Because we're living in the last days. The days are perilous. What we're up against today... Is nothing like it's ever been. It's greater and greater. Every day the wickedness continues to grow. But you have victory over wickedness, Lord. We have the victory in you. God, may we be uh, receive a fresh anointing of you today. In the name of Jesus, we cry out to you today to make us that father or mother. To make us that caretaker, Lord, that's caring for others and... and bringing them to you and training them, O oh God, in ways that we can train them. In Jesus' name, we love you, we bless you, we exalt you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just lift our hands into the Lord right now. Jesus, welcome. Lord, we receive your word today with gladness.
And we ask, Lord, that it would fall upon hearts, the good hearts, that receive the word, but not only receive it, absorb it, and then persevere in it and produce the, the harvest, Lord, from the word that we've received. God, we've received a word today that is your word for this house, for this time, for this season. Jesus, it's a, a set word, foundational word for this particular moment in our life together. And so Jesus, we receive that word fully and we embrace it fully. And now we pray that it would do its full work in and through us. For your glory, Jesus, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I bless this group of leaders. Thank you for all that they represent and all whom they connect. Bless in Jesus' name. Lord, as we share together around the tables now, I pray that you would nourish us in body, even as we have been nourished in spirit now, and nourish our souls as we fellowship and encourage one another in you. Thank you for those that have prepared and planned this meal for us. We bless our brothers and sisters from the Romo Christian Fellowship. Thank you for their generous hearts in providing this meal for us today. Bless them hundredfold for what they've poured into us today. Bless Pastor Bob hundredfold for what he's pouring into our lives. And Marilyn and their children and grandchildren. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, um, in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Um, you know, Bob uh, has served in, you know, from a distance because of his geographic distance, but as a as a father to me and to our household. And so I, it's great joy to listen. And he lives out what he's, this isn't just like information. This is who he is to present to us impartationally. He has five children, four of whom are in full-time, right? Or three, three in full-time ministry, all serving the Lord. All his grand, grandchildren serving the Lord. He, he's, this is legacy heritage. So he's living this out in his life in ways that all of us long to see.